What can it mean? The ability to perfect the physical and mental characteristics of every unborn child. In the not-too-distant future, our DNA will determine everything about us. A minute drop of blood saliva, or a single hair determines where you can work, who you should marry, what you're capable of achieving. In a society where success is determined by science, divided by the standards of perfection, one man's only chance. How do you expect to pull this off? I don't know exactly. Is to hide his own identity. This is the last day that you're gonna be you and I'm gonna be me. By borrowing someone else's. Congratulations. What about the interview? That was it. Do you think you'd be doing what you're doing if it wasn't for who you are, what you are? I have a feeling he might be there under false pretenses, playing somebody else's hand. They've got my picture plastered up all over the place. They'll recognize me. They won't recognize me. They'll recognize me. I don't recognize you. They won't believe that one of their elite could have suckered them all this time. My name's Tom Jennings, and this is the 20 Frames cast. And on today's episode, I'm going to be talking about Andrew Nichols' 1998 film Gattaca. And there's no way I can really talk about this film without going on an incredibly self-indulgent trip down memory lane. Because Gattaca is one of the seminal films in my film-watching life. It was an incredibly important work to me for, for a number of reasons, which I'm going to get into now. So forgive this self-indulgence, but um, here is why. Just a kind of introduction before I do the main review as to why Gattaca uh, came to mean so much to me. At the age of 15, during the early years of my film obsession, I'm not ashamed to admit it that much of my opinion on whether or not I was going to watch a film would be greatly swayed by the film magazine Empire. And Empire wasn't just a magazine to me in those early days. It was a veritable monthly bible. And although I was never really concerned by the often rather dull on-set interviews in which actors talked about the importance of the next film they were going to make, it was always the review sections that would be a guide to what films I would be seeing in the coming months, albeit going to the cinema or renting them on videotape. And occasionally my best friend Nina, who had gotten me into Empire in the first place, would scroll through the coming releases. Nina was one of those mates who was a mate purely on the basis that the window had passed for us to become boyfriend and girlfriend. We fancied each other, I think, at the beginning. And we did occasionally do the odd purr for each other at school, but there was nothing more. We had just become mates who loved films. And each month we would pick up The Empire, scroll through the pages and pick what films we were going to definitely go and go and see. And our trip to the cinema in those years rank amongst the fondest memories of my life. 
There is nothing quite like coming out of a cinema having watched a great film and being of an age where you can either go for a beer or jump in the car that you can drive and head out somewhere to find the rest of your friends of a night of sitting around chatting, smoking some weed, drinking and generally being young and happy. Nina and I were film nerds of our group though. We loved them, we debated them and we argued about them occasionally as well. Some of the conversations which we still have to this day are which was better, Alien or Aliens. We both adored Heat. Nina's dad looked a bit like Robert De Niro, which always used to amuse us. Nina was obsessed with LA Confidential and The Usual Suspects, a film which I could never quite see why she was so into. But one thing was for sure, we both watched Seven over and over. In 1998, Nina had begun seeing another member of our group, a lad called Phil. He was a super cool guy, definitely the best looking of our group funny and well-dressed. He kind of resembled a mod crossed with a jazz beatnik and all the girls loved him and Nina had bagged him. Like despite the romance in her life, she was not about to give up our film mates for anyone. So in March 1998, we were peering through Empire magazine trying to decide what we were going to seek out and watch. And we came across the review for Andrew Nichols's Gattaca. Now we had a rule. One star films were completely avoided. Two stars were possibly a rental, depending on who directed and who was in them. Three stars, possible trip to the cinema, depending on what else was on. Four stars, and we were probably most likely definitely to go. And of course, there was the holy grail when you would see one of those five star reviews with the five stars being in red. And that meant the film was absolutely unmissable. We were going to go no matter what. Now I had seen a promo about Gattaca and actually had bought the soundtrack by Michael Nyman before having seen the film and that was not uncommon in those days. I love buying CD soundtracks and still do for this matter. And that month I do recall it being particularly slim pickings and I had suggested that we go and see Gattaca. Nina protested it was two stars and I knew the rules but then I did have an ace up my sleeve. Nina had insisted a few months before that we go and see a film, I can't recall which one it was, that I had not really wanted to go to and it was some daft nonsense that she, I think she liked the actor or fancied the actor in it. And she said if I go, I, I could pick a film in the coming months that she would have to see no matter what. And I could invoke this kind of rule whenever I wanted to. I reminded Nina of this and decided to invoke this rule and that we were going to see Gattaca. She protested. She begged, she protested, obviously. It was only a two-star film and I knew the rules, but I didn't rule in. We were going tough shit. And you can tell she was pissed off, but she conceded and that she had promised to go to a film that she didn't want to go to and that I had made the sacrifice for her and that we would go and watch Gattaca. At the pub about a week later, I began to get a sense that she was getting even more flaky about the trip. There were no jokes about it. Just some comments about how she didn't want to go and that it was going to be a drag and then I reminded her that she liked Ethan Hawke and she liked the music of Michael Nyman and she loved science fiction so she just needed to get the fuck on with it and go. Things were getting tetchy between us though I could tell and I retreated that night wondering really or not whether she was going to see it through. And then something else was beginning to bug the shit out of me. Phil was always kind of a prick to her and rather than just tell him to stop she just kind of looked at him like a sappy idiot most of the time desperately trying to be near him all the time, always kissing him, always just fucking ogling. And I realised I was actually jealous. She wasn't my girlfriend, she never was, she was my mate. But there was something about the whole situation that when you're at that age of 17, 18, dark stuff does feel a lot more important than it actually is. And come at the end of the night, we were going to watch Gattaca the next day and that was the end of it. 
The next day, the phone rang and it was Nina, my mum, answered and was asking her how she was and then finished the phone call with, I will let him know. She then bellowed up and said, Nina can't do the cinema. She's heading out of the rest of the gang to the Woolpack later, the Woolpack being the pub we always used to go to. And I was momentarily stunned. Fine, I said, trying desperately to stifle my disappointment at this blowout. And I had two options, I realised. I could go and watch the film or head to the pub and meet the rest of my friends and Nina. Going alone to the cinema seemed absolutely inconceivable. I had never done this in my entire life and God how times have changed. I hate going to the cinema now with other people and do anything to avoid human contact, which means in most cases going to the 9am screening in Manchester on a Saturday morning. But 18, it seemed a big no-no. One did not go to the cinema on their own in those days. It was a symbol of being a bit of a loser. And I ummed and ahmed and at the end of the day, I thought, fuck it. I'll sack off going to the cinema and I'll go to the pub and I can always pick up Gattaca another day when it comes out on VHS, which in those days would have been about a year, which seemed an awfully long time. Now, were I to go to the cinema, I would have have to have gone past the pub where everybody was. And I didn't realise as I was driving towards the pub just how annoyed and disappointed I was with Nina for blowing me out like this. And as I began to slow down, seeing the sign for the wall pack, something bizarre kicked in and I just put my foot down, drove to the pub and went to Maidstone to go and watch the film at the cinema on my own. Fuck it, I thought. I could go to the pub any day of the week. It was always going to be there and my friends and I were always going to hang out there. And I really, really wanted to see Gattaca. I wanted to see it on the big screen. I wanted a cinematic experience. I didn't just want to sit around for a few hours, drink a couple of beers, probably end up having to drive everyone home and then be home at my house for about half eleven, having not seen the film I wanted to see and having a night out I could have had a million times again. So I strolled up to the cinema in Maidstone, paid for my ticket and emerged two hours later with that two-star Empire review ringing in my ears. How, I wondered, had they not seen the same film I had just watched? Two stars. That was one above being awful. Three possibly would have been fair, but two, no way. Defo not a five out of five, but no way was this a two-star film. It might seem blindingly obvious now. And as I wandered back to the car, something began to dawn on me. Something quite profound, which in retrospect seems painfully obvious. And that was just because someone who was paid to write something in a magazine, it didn't mean that they could be hugely wrong. The person who wrote the article about Gattaca was wrong, in my opinion. Before I had simply accepted that if some critics said a film was great, then it was up to me to find the greatness in it even if it was struggling to find that at the time. An example of this was something like Some Like It Hot. I watched it at 15 and was told by my teacher and seemingly every critic on earth it was a masterpiece. And I didn't think it was and I still don't think it is now. And I just don't see it. I don't see the genius in it. And I'm happy to simply go with my own instinct on that. But after Gattaca, I felt a new kind of confidence in myself. I realised I was actually growing up and was finding my own identity as to what, how, it, how I came to view and react to film and I had discovered something I loved, going to the cinema on my own. Who fucking needed someone sat next to you scoffing popcorn and twitching anyway? As I was driving home I came upon the wall pack again and could see everyone outside drinking, 
and half of me was tempted to pull up and tell Nina about how great the film was. But I didn't want to go for a drink. I didn't want to stop. I wanted to go home and do something I'd never actually done before in my entire life. And that was, for no other reason than the love of doing it, write down my thoughts and review a film on paper, unprompted and for no other reason for the hell of doing it. And I wrote long into that night, extolling the film's virtues, the uber cool neon noir look, its fantastic use of locations, its relevancy to the zeitgeist. This was after all the era of Dolly the Sheep, the first clone animal and the fear of designer babies. It was also a wake up call. And I realized Gattaca was one of those films that had a profound impact on me. It was like when I watched Colito's Way at a young age and one single camera movement as Sean Penn got on a boat suddenly made me realise for the first time what it was a director does. De Palma was telling me through a simple movement that a character's life is about to change and it was revelatory. Heat made me realise that I love films more than any other art form. The before films have been a consistent in my life, often reflecting at times word for word relationship experiences I have had. And there are more and more examples, too many to mention, but Gattaca was kind of a turning point. I was finding my voice with films, aesthetics that I enjoyed. Even if Gattaca wasn't perfect, I connected in a way that other people didn't seem to. The actual act of going to the cinema on my own felt hugely liberating and I've never looked back since. And it was a moment where I also realised that I had a certain group of friends at the time and it was more than likely that we weren't going to stay close friends for a great deal longer. Yes, we had had some good times together, but I realised this era was coming to an end. My film going buddy had blown me out for a night in the pub and I kind of realised that soon we'd all off be going to university in our separate ways and in truth, I wasn't even really bothered it was going to be like that. It was a coming of age and it was something that I knew at the time. A phase was over and a new one was beginning. And it's one film that had come to symbolise that exact moment. Like many others in my situation, I moved around a lot in the next few years, getting work where I could. I must have cleaned half the toilets in the state. I belong to a new underclass, no longer determined by social status or the color of your skin. Welcome to Gattaca, gentlemen. No, we now have discrimination down to a science. All right, there's your cleaner material. Start from the front, clean all the way back. And I want to see my smiling face on that floor. Going back to Gattaca, I was a little pessimistic, I suppose, because I've, I've, I've spoken about it before and I'm sure it's something that happens to you guys as well, where you have a film that you're very, very fond of. And perhaps you kind of, in, in the case of this film, obviously it, it, it meant a lot to me. And going back sometimes, you do find yourself a little bit disappointed. I remember really having that effect when I watched The Goonies and I hadn't seen it for years and I kind of built it up in my head that this was going to be this one great nostalgia trip because that film had so many fond memories for me it was one of those christmas films i always used to watch it on the lead up to christmas and get super excited for christmas and all that and i watched it and i hated it i hated every minute of it i, I think it's really bad it, it hasn't doesn't hold up at all it's legitimately i think quite poor and gattaca was had a kind of special part for me as well because it was one of the first ever DVDs I seem to remember buying. Uh, I particularly enjoyed some of the, the uh, deleted scenes that were on it. But 
In the ensuing years, I think other than film, one of my main interests in life has been science and technology, and especially kind of the intersection with ethics and morality and society. And Gattaca really held up and it really delivered for me. It's a science fiction film that explores the concept of genetic engineering. And in the world of Gattaca, babies can be altered to iron out imperfections. In the words of the doctor, it's to take the best of both the parents. Sadly for the main protagonist, Vincent, played by Ethan Hawke, his parents have decided to leave things to nature. And what a blow nature has dealt him. Vincent has a heart defect, meaning his choice of career will be severely limited, which is doubly frustrating considering he wants to be an astronaut. Enter George Lord's Jerome. Crippled in an accent, he is, however, the peak of physical perfection, and for a price can give Vincent his DNA, allowing him to trick his way into the titular Gatter Institute of Space Travel and allow him to fulfil his dream of becoming an astronaut. When there is a murder at the Gattaca Institute, Joseph, played by Gord Vidal, brings in the police to find the culprit, headed by Vincent's brother, Anton, who has been genetically engineered. They begin to search Gatter for the culprit, and in the turn find a piece of Vincent's actual DNA, leading him to become one of the main suspects. To complicate things even further, Vincent has fallen for Irene, played Uma Thurman, who herself begins to suspect all is not worth seeing with the new man in her life. Neurological condition, 60% probability. Manic depression, 42% probability. Attention deficit disorder, 89% probability. Heart disorder, 99% probability. Early fatal potential, life expectancy, 30.2 years. 30 years. The name for the certificate? Anton? No, um, Vincent Anton. Gattaca's world is one separated by valids, those who have been engineered, and invalids, with who are considered genetically inferior, doing the manual label and cleaning the toilets, and in fact, Vincent actually has a job at Gattaca at the beginning as a cleaner. And after I watched Gattaca again, my mind began to think back to a conversation I had with an ex-girlfriend. And at the time we were in fact trying for a baby. And what I'm about to say, I think I, I don't think it's particularly controversial. Um, and I, I hopefully I, I, I will kind of make my reasons abundantly clear whilst I'm talking about this but one night we had this conversation and it was if she were to get pregnant and we found out that the baby had down syndrome we both came to an agreement that we would terminate the pregnancy and I can fully understand why people might find this to be completely repugnant yet I know a great deal many people who have the same opinion indeed I have to be honest I've never had a girlfriend who has said that they felt different than they would actually go through and the, the fact of the matter is I would simply not want to raise a child with so many needs and I wouldn't want to bring one into this life where their world would be so limited because of their disabilities now this in turn could lead to the accus accusation that I deem people with disability to be less worthy of life, of life with those without. And this simply isn't true. And I would never advocate or even suggest that anyone should be of the same view I am. I'm totally open to criticism on this standpoint. I'm just simply saying 
given the scenario previously discussed, that would be my preference. I just simply don't think I simply don't think I could bring a severely handicapped child into the world and deal with the repercussions of that. Yet there is a scale here, and I think a very dangerous moral dilemma that we have to navigate. It's one thing finding out that you might have a child that has Down syndrome, but let us play this scenario. Let's say that at the point of conception, we could test for all manner con conditions, and in a few years, the following scenario occurred. You and your partner are told on the day of conceiving that a child is likely to develop a strong tendency to alcohol addiction. Now, we know as a society how thoroughly a terrible disease alcohol addiction is. And then let's say in this scenario, conception was not a problem, or indeed this is a not so far a future where artificial insemination was both incredibly easy and cheap. Would you really run the risk of having a child with potentially such an affliction? Now, of course, it's easy just to say no, but on the flip side, you could also see why one potentially would not want to run this risk. Like most other parents of their day, they were determined that their next child would be brought into the world in what has become the natural way. Your extracted eggs, uh, Marie, have been fertilized with Antonio's sperm. After screening, we are left, as you see, with two healthy boys and two very healthy girls. Naturally, no critical predispositions to any of the major inheritable diseases. All that remains is to select the most compatible candidate. First, we, we may as well decide on gender. Have you given it any thought? Uh, we would want Vincent to have a brother, you know, um, to play with. Of course you would. Hello, Vincent. You have specified hazel eyes, dark hair, and uh, fair skin. I have taken the liberty of eradicating any potentially prejudicial conditions, uh, premature baldness, myopia, alcoholism, and addictive susceptibility, uh, propensity for violence, obesity, etc. We didn't want, I mean, diseases, yes, but. Uh... Right, we were just wondering if, if it's good to just leave a few things to, to chance. You want to give your child the best possible start. Believe me, we have enough imperfection built in already. No, your child doesn't need any additional burdens. And keep in mind, this child is still you. Simply the best of you. You could conceive naturally a thousand times and never get such a result. In Gattaca, the world is clearly at a point whereby this has become a very norm, has become a societal norm. Every possible affliction is taken out only leaving the best of either parent. Eugenics is often associated with fascism. Indeed, Hitler and the Nazis were obsessed with it. And even America during the 20s and 30s, thousands of people were forcibly sterilized for conditions ranging from epilepsy to being of perceived lower intelligence. It's course utterly despicable. And whilst watching Gattaca, I began to wonder about what type of society is being presented to us. The film's 30s aesthetics echo fascist iconography. The trench coats of the police, the pristine Albert Speer type buildings, but we don't know for sure it's politics. However, there does seem to be a distinct absence of God. In the present world, the debate around abortion stem cell research is often framed around the debate between religion and science. There's nothing more creepy in my view when you see, especially in American politics, Old men talking about what goes on inside a woman's womb with regard to the life that's inside it after a woman has been raped, with the justification being that the woman should see the pregnancy through 
because of some bizarre religious justification being invoked. It's the same with contraception. I was once on a Facebook group called Catholic Memes, which occasionally had some rather amusing posts, yet this gave way to utter horror when I stumbled across a discussion around contraception. These people literally believed that taking the contraceptive pill was an act of evil. Indeed, why didn't the world simply practice withdrawal anyway? The staggering level of naivety and outright stupidity was breathtaking. Yet again, these people greatly affect the world as we know it. Religious fundamentalists such as Mother Teresa aid in the bet poverty and suffering in the third world through actually denying and encourage and discouraging birth control. Indeed, suffering is in their eyes a good thing that brings people closer to the experience of Christ. Yet, as we know, the allowing when women have control of their bodies, the impacts on poverty, that birth control works to help alleviate suffering in economically deprived parts of the world. Yet there are powerful religious voices that see this going against the will of the creator. It has to be said that more often not, these people don't live in disease infested slums and can pontificate from the luxury of their first world lives. But birth control and abortion are one thing, but let's not forget stem cell research has been greatly hindered due to voices on the religious right. The fact that they see stem cells as being fully functioning human souls that should be left well alone. And this has had real world consequences for those who, of us who rightly see this as being complete and utter bollocks. But there are voices, both religious and non-religious, who squirm at the thought of any kind of alteration of genetics on any level. Because it's one thing to contemplate the ramifications of bringing a child into the world that you know will have a predisposition to addiction but it's entirely another thing to choose the preference of say your child's eye colour. I can recall a foray around the notion of design of babies and despite finding it absurd then in the modern world it actually seems more prevalent than ever. I cannot the life of me think of any moral justification for a couple picking the colour of their child's eyes. Yet we are in the most image-obsessed time in our history. One need look at social media. It is awash with people begging you to like pictures of them. God forbid how many times I've seen the picture of the girl with the thong swimsuit on, standing in front of some natural wonder, looking pensively to the left or right, apparently in naught of nature, while simultaneously hoping you will follow her to boost her influencer credentials or the couple snogging at sunset with the hashtag living the dream. If, and I mean if, genetic engineering were available, you know that these people would be all over it. You can see the posts, the millions of likes for that perfect baby's deep mesmerizing blue eyes, and people would go crazy for it. And why not while you're at it, get, of that 80, get rid of that 80% chance of early hair loss and have a perfect nose and height to go with it. Gattaca goes there, it shows this world and seems to have predicted it over 20 years ago and perhaps there is a warning here. God is totally absent in the world of Gattaca. It is one based purely on science and genetics. Vincent, by being born free of any modifications and the way nature has intended, is actually on a DNA level on the fringes of society. And not to play devil's advocate, because I firmly believe there is an ethical line to be clearly defined, but I do think the film shows us a very real, dangerous path that could exist 
were it not for dissenting voices that we have today. And yes, I think a lot of that comes from people's fear of playing God or indeed directly going against what they believe his wishes to be. The godless society of Gattaca seems to suggest that science lacks morals and ethics. Indeed, this is an age-old debate with one side can reverse the argument against the other to suit. I personally believe that any form of extreme dogmatism does eventually resemble religion, which is why it makes, say, Stalin-era communism so dangerous in the first place. In Gattaca, science and its deliverance of perfection have become a religion of science. Its ethics are based in a perverse ideology where you don't want children to grow up unhindered by psychological or physical affliction by simultaneously condemning those who don't have such luxury. Again it conjures images of fascism, eugenics, the master race, although the race in the film appears not to be a social factor, the doctor who helps conceive Anton is himself black. Yet these are people who classify anyone born of nature to be invalid, and yet there is an uncomfortable question here. If we could, for example, eliminate certain conditions that make someone more likely to commit suicide, do we have an obligation to do so if we could? In Gattaca, this is happening, yet it's clearly gone too far. But where are the red lines? Where is the point we say, no, this is enough? And what's strange when I'm watching the film is I can almost, part of me, part of me does agree with some of what you are seeing. Going back to the point about alcoholism, uh, going back to the point about suicide, we spend so much on suicide awareness. We know it's a terrible thing. And if we could eradicate it by merely tweaking someone's DNA, it's hard to think of a moral reason why we shouldn't do that. And herein lies, I think, one of the great things about this film. It makes you think about bigger things and it doesn't ever do so with becoming by becoming overtly preachy or worthy. And for the record as well, I think there is something I'd like to say about Vincent's um, trying to get into Gattaca. I think it's perfectly normal, indeed logical, that if you have a heart defect, being fired into space may not be the best career move for you. Vincent could more than likely die before he gets to Titan, which is the moon he's travelling to, therefore jeopardising the lives of everyone on board as he is the navigator. And I would caveat this by saying the film positions us where we were supposed to be cheering him on as opposed to worrying about the health and safety aspects of his trip. You keep your workstation so clean, Jerome. It's next to godliness. Isn't that what they say? Godliness. I reviewed your flight plan. Not one error in a million keystrokes. Phenomenal. It's right that someone like you is taking us to Titan. Has the committee approved the mission? There's been talk of delay. You shouldn't listen to talk. You leave in a week. You've got a substance test. Gattaca presents a world of clean interiors and neat cubicles. And it has the ever-present science fiction trope of the dystopian public address system. It's a world of perfection, of precision, and juxtaposed with this, then, is Jude Law's Jerome. Jude Law does spoil Bastard's world. Here he is bitter, crippled in an accident, and so angered by his finishing second, 
we actually discover that the reason for his accident, he was actually trying to kill himself, but he injects this film with a well-needed edge. He drinks a lot, smokes and indulges in prostitutes, and yet he feels like someone who is actually living. We know from the DNA broker who sets him up with Vincent that criminality in this world exists. It's clearly not that perfect. And it did rather make me think about science fiction in a wider context. And Gattaca is telling us that the imperfections are where the real experiences of human being come from. In a world of science fiction, most time we see autonomous simply doing as they say, all looking the same, living boring existences. Irene has a rare genetic issue herself and cannot fly. And when she comes to discover Vincent's true identity, she is not put off by what he is, but is in fact attracted to who he is. And I think there's something reassuring about this. No one is perfect. And if they would be, it would be an astonishingly dull and depressing world. The world of Gattaca is completely superficial. You can get a swab test of the DNA of the person you just kissed, just to see how good and eligible they really are. And yet again, I think there is a way this film is kind of predicting the future, which has come to pass. For anyone who's been single, you'll find new hell in dating apps. You literally swipe yes or no based on looks. You can look at the details, you can look at the, the short biographies, but let's be honest with you, it's purely do you fancy them or not. And I think this kind of makes sense. I, I don't judge it, I suppose, and I, I, you know, I'm certainly guilty of it myself. However, what you tend to find then is that the smallest of imperfections can cause rejection. I matched with someone on the dating app Bumble only for them to terminate the conversation when they noticed where I lived, to which they responded, where you live shows a lack of ambition. Now, obviously this was a lucky escape, but it is such a superficial and quite nihilistic way of seeing the world. And watching Gattaca now 20 years old later, I think the film was bang on predicting about how depressingly sterile the human courting experience has become. We don't meet people at work so much anymore or on a night out or through friends. It does seem to be on this swipe left, swipe right basis. And I think that's why there's a certain kind of humanity and something quite reassuring about Irene and Vincent getting together. The system and society doesn't want to, but they begin to fall in love. And again, this is a very science fiction trope. You know, Logan's run-esque, I suppose. And it's kind of reassuring to think that away from the image that we all project, it is those human qualities that we all end up being attracted to. Aesthetically, Gattaca is a joy to watch. I find this retro minimalist aesthetic hard not to like. Although its film is science fiction, it never feels excessive. It makes use of existing public spaces, fields of solar panels, Frank Lloyd Wright, architecture and striking use of hugely lit neon buildings. I cannot pronounce the cinematographer's name, but he's the guy that did the Three Colours films, and it's a beautiful film to watch. And I'm not a little, I've always been a little unsure of the term neo-noir. I get why it exists, I'm just not sure I like it particularly. And, and if I was to liken Gattaca to anything I've seen recently again, it'd probably have to be something like Chinatown. It has that look and feel to it with the whodunit subplot going on. And I might, might be way off the mark, but that was what my mind was drifting to. And I suppose when you can think of Chinatown in a dystopian science fiction context, that's, that says something I think quite good about the film you're watching. 
crucially, it never feels fantastical above beyond the easily imaginable world, because like I said, much of it exists in the here and now. And here I think lies the lessons of, of film. CGI really dates films badly in most cases. The most I suppose we see in Gattaca is a rocket taking off, and they're easily the most unrealistic portions of the film. It's nice to see what modern architecture and the, re the repurposing of existing real-world objects such as cars and good costumes can do. It's a physical, practical film that has a real tangibility to it. And I think full credit has to go for Andrew Nichol for being so restrained in what he does with the genre. He's a writer and a director, however, I think has done some interesting work, but has never really made anything better than Gattaca since. And it does have some issues. The voiceover can be a little clunky. Michael Nyman's score is possibly too sparse and a little on the droning side, but it gets the fundamentals right. Ethan Hawke has always, to me, been an underrated actor. He is a leading man who comes without leading man baggage. And he is a star, but he's one who I think, but he's one who stardom doesn't detract and he has an everyman quality that always seems to make you root for him. Law is, of course, as I mentioned, perfect as a spoiled brat, and it's okay not to like him because at times overall you get because overall you get him and his situation. And you get the impression that Thurman too, that Thurman knows this character, the quiet resignation of her fate in a life that she knows is wrong and believes in something better. You rather feel that her relationship with Vincent has been brewing for a long time. She was just waiting for the right person to come along. And Nichols' direction is solid. And Nichols, Nichols, and Andrew Nichols' handling of the who done it adds a let adds a sense of danger and excitement that never feels forced or contrived. He builds a world with rules where you understand that a single stray hair can literally be the difference between someone getting on with their life and having it ruined. Never has a Hoover been such a sinister and potentially devastating weapon of oppression. Gattaca is, I believe, an incredibly underrated film. It works on many, many levels, and it actually has something to say more than some of its parts. It's getting more relevant than ever. It is a warning, yes, but it also promotes debate, and it should promote debates, and we should be thinking about the themes within it. And it was nice going back to this film and thinking about it for the personal reasons that I stated at the start of this episode. Films do, I think, play a massive, important part in their life, and Gattaca has done that for me. I'm going to be really interested in revisiting it in a few years to see how I feel about it, to see how we've progressed as a society, to see if we're still having the debates that this film raises. I cannot recommend it enough on Blu-ray. It looks beautiful and I know there is a 4K UHD uh, coming out soon, which I will no doubt pick up because this is one of those rare films. I bought it on VHS, which was a pan and scan. I bought the DVD of it, which I absolutely love seeing in widescreen. I upgraded that to Blu-ray and it looks fantastic. And I'm really hopeful that UHD will do it even more justice. But overall, Gattaca, I cannot recommend it enough. So that's going to be it for this episode of the 24 Frames cast. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, Joachim and I have fired up the Masters of Cinema cast again, so that we'll be dropping some episodes very soon. We've got a couple in the bag, and hopefully we're going to get some more out soon. Um, if you go to the um, exclusive page on the blog slot, there's also some more Bond there for you if you fancy carrying on with that marathon. So uh, many thanks for listening. I'll be in contact soon. Bye.